morning, Calvary Hill. I, uh, I love games, so I'm going to fit in really well this week. Twist and Turns is the name of uh, our VBS this week, and it is, as you can tell, it is a game-themed week. But there is one game I'm not a fan of. I'm not really a baseball fan. Now, don't boo me for that. I said, don't boo me. And then immediately, see, this is, y'all's flesh just rises up when it's told not to do something. I think, I think I do like apple pie. It's my favorite. I think the origins of this reality in my life started when I was in about third grade. I played my first season of kid pitch Baseball. Before that, it was T-ball and it was coach pitch. And so this was my first year of kid pitch. And I, and I, was, on the, I was on the Red Sox, okay? We go to our first practice, and the first time that I get up to have batting practice, I get hit by a pitch, and that was it. <laughs> I was done with baseball. I didn't want to play anymore. I didn't want to stand that close to another third grader throwing the ball as hard as he can this far from me. I thought it was a bad idea. What? Who came up with this sport? Uh, I was scared of getting hit again. I told my parents I was done, and they said, no, you're not going to quit. You've already started. I was like, one practice. You're, you're going to finish the season. So my dad, desiring for his oldest son to not be afraid of the ball, took me to the park where they had a backstop. And I, he tells me to, to get up there, and, and I'm standing at the plate, and he said, I'm just going to throw some balls your way. You know, you just hit it. Well, in his mind, what he was thinking was, I'm going to throw the ball at him to teach him that he can get out of the way, or even if it hits him, it won't be that big of a deal. That did not work. That failed miserably. I remember he, he, he threw the ball at me the first time, and I got out of the way. He threw it at me again, and it hit me. And I remember throwing my bat down, marching off. like I was done, but I couldn't quit. I played the whole season. was not good. The very last game of the season, my parents were at a, a revival leading the music, so they weren't there. And in the very last game, I got three hits and drove in three runs. Got the game ball. By the way, still have the game ball <laughs> to this day with the date on it, Red Sox. I went home and wrote Red Sox, wrote the date on it, kept the ball. It is up in my attic. Now, my parents hear this great news. Our son got three hits, drove in three runs. I even made a couple great plays in the outfield. And my, my parents, probably especially my dad, starts thinking, now he's really going to get into baseball. So they come home from the revival. I tell them all about it. And he says, well, are you excited for next season? I said, oh, no, I'm not playing next season. I'm done. Like, the, 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 I'm ending on a high. Now, that, that technically wasn't true because in eighth grade, all of my buddies decide they're going to play baseball. 
And all of them had played, you know, from third grade all the way up in junior high. And I had never played since third grade. I mean, the last time I had played, I was the MVP of the game. But I knew I wasn't going to be good. But all my buddies were playing, and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll play uh, just to be with, with my boys. Never played all season. Sat in the dugout, eating sunflower seeds, and just goofing off. And I, I mean, I had a blast. Had a blast. I would sit, you know, I would sit there, and I'd get the rallies going, flip my hat inside out, and I'd get all the chants. You know, I would do all that stuff. I don't even know what I was saying. I, I, I heard somebody else do it. I did it. I just didn't play. And on the last game, here we are again, the last game of the season, I'm sitting in the dugout, probably got a batting helmet backwards on my head, just acting silly. And my coach leans in the dugout, and as only a coach can, he points his finger at me and says, Sandlin, right field. And I went, no, nah, I'm good, coach. I don't need to play. <laughs> and he looked at me. He said, you don't want to play. I said, no, good. I'm good, coach. I'm, I'm fine. I don't need to play. And I didn't go in. I stayed in the dugout, cheered whoever went into right field, cheered for them, but did not want to play. I was happy eating my sunflower seeds. I was happy goofing off. Hey, I was on the team. I don't really need to play. And that was the, the totality of my baseball career. I share this story with you as an illustration. Because I think there are some people who call themselves Christians in the same way that I called my eighth grade self a baseball player. They sign up to join the team. They make a profession of faith. They want to be part of the squad, but they have no desire to actually play in the game. They're content to sit in the dugout and mess around and goof off while the real work and the real game is going on in the field. But the Bible knows nothing of that kind of Christianity. The Bible does not know anything about a Christianity where you sit in the dugout and not play in the game. The Bible doesn't teach that we make a profession of faith, but then our life is absent of mission or vocation as God's people. Christianity in the Bible are people who get changed, who get saved, and then begin to live life on mission. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. The reality of God sending us into the world with a vocation and a ministry and a mission and a job. Not simply to profess that we're on the team and sit back and let other people play. So turn with me to John chapter 17. We are still in our series, Jesus Praise. This is the what is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. We're going to be looking at verses 18 and 19 this morning. Just two verses following up on what Brother James talked about, the hope for holiness last week. Here's what John 17, 18, and 19 says. Jesus is praying. As you, Father sent me into the world, 
So I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing as we work through these two verses. Lord, I come to you fully aware, Lord, that if you do not speak to us through your word, if you do not enlighten us to understand not just with our mind, but with our very, uh, our, the totality of our being to understand this text, then we'll leave here and not be changed. But God, if through the power of your Holy Spirit, you use me to explain the text, you use your word to go forth, our minds are enlightened to understand it and we are moved to live it, then Lord, we'll leave here encouraged, exhorted, lifted up to obey your word. And I ask that you would do that now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Human beings were created for vocation. We were created for a mission on earth. I want to give you four things found in the first two chapters of the Bible about this vocation and this mission that human beings were given. Number one, human beings were created to rightly bear the image of God. Human beings were created to rightly bear the image of God. Genesis 1.26, so God created man in his own image. Our vocation, part of our mission, part of our job is to rightly bear that image out. Number two, human beings were created to have communion with God. Genesis 3.8, the Bible says that God walked in the cool of the morning in the garden. This implies to us that Adam and Eve were in communion with God in the garden perfectly. And human beings have been created to have that kind of communion with God. Number three, human beings were created to have dominion over all the earth. Genesis 1.28, God tells Adam and Eve that they were supposed to have dominion over the earth and subdue it. And then number four, Human beings were created to fill the earth with the glory of God. God tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That didn't just mean we just want people, but we want people bearing the image of God in community with God, subduing and having dominion over the earth and giving God glory over the face of the earth. Human beings were never supposed to stay in the Garden of Eden. They were supposed to take all of that glory everywhere. So the vocation of man was to rightly bear the image of God, walk in communion with God, take dominion over all things, and spread the glory of God throughout the world. That is the job of human beings. It is why we were created. But man failed 
in their God-given commission. Adam and Eve, the first two human beings, failed in following through with the commission, following through with their mission, following through with their vocation. They failed. So God gives the same vocation, the same mission, the same ministry to Israel. And Israel fails to follow through with their vocation and to do the very same things. So this vocation given to man is not fulfilled. It's never lived out. And then as our text reads, Jesus was sent into the world. He was sent as the last Adam. He was sent as the true Israel to do what man had never done. Namely, obey the will of God in the vocation of man. Listen to me clearly. If you think the only reason Jesus was sent was to die on the cross to save sinners, you're missing a large portion of why Jesus was sent. Jesus was sent to be what mankind had never been. He was sent to fulfill this fourfold vocation. He was coming to do, as the last Adam and the true Israel, what man had never been. He came as the very image of God. John 14, 9, Jesus says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus comes perfectly bearing the image of God. He comes in perfect oneness and communion with God. Jesus says in John 10, 30, I and and the Father are one. He comes to take dominion over everything. John 3, 35, the Father loves the Son, this is Jesus speaking, and has given all things into His hand. And He came to spread the glory of God. We've already read in John 17, 1, Jesus prays, glorify the Son that the Son may glorify you. So listen to what I'm saying here. I am saying that the fourfold mission that Adam and Eve failed to do, the fourfold mission that Israel failed to do, the fourfold mission that all of humanity has failed to do, Jesus was sent to do it and he did it perfectly. He bore the image of God. He was in communion with God. He took dominion over everything and he spread the glory of God. He did what Adam didn't do. He did what Israel did not do. This is why he was sent by the Father to do what humanity had never done. Jesus was fulfilling the vocation and the mission that had been commissioned by God to humanity. He was the perfect man. And he did what none of us ever could do. Then in verse 19, we read these words. And for their sake I consecrate myself. It it is not God's design to only have Jesus as the one that fulfills this commission. It's not God's design to only have Jesus fulfill the mission. 
It is to have people from every tribe and nation and language fulfilling this commission. That was God's plan. But because of sin, humans are in rebellion to God's plan. We are unworthy of the mission. You got me, right? The plan is for people from every tribe and nation and language all over the world fulfilling this commission. But because of sin, we are in rebellion to God's will. We're in rebellion to the mission and we're unworthy of the mission. So Jesus, in his role as Savior and Redeemer, comes to consecrate himself on our behalf. Now, the word consecrate could be translated just sanctified, carries the idea of being set apart for service. Set apart for service. Jesus set apart his life, but mostly here in this text, it means he set apart himself for the cross. So he sets himself apart. He consecrates himself. He, he sets himself apart. He sanctifies himself for the cross on our behalf. On our behalf, on behalf of humanity, Jesus consecrates himself and goes to the cross. The gospel that we're in, John says it in many different places. But let me just tell you what Jesus says in chapter 10, John 10, 11, and then 17 and 18. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. He says in verse 17 and 18, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So Jesus, in obedience to God, consecrates himself and goes to the cross on our behalf. He buys a people back for God. He atones for the rebellion. He frees us from our bondage. Not so we simply go to the present heaven when we die. And look at what happens as he sanctifies his followers. Look at verse 19. He says, And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. They also may be consecrated in truth. The result of the work of Jesus at the cross is that there is a sanctification of God's people. Brother James talked about sanctification last week, and he talked about the aspect of sanctification as this progress, progression in practical holiness, right? That is certainly true. We are being sanctified, right? We're becoming more and more and more um, holy in our walk. But the other aspect of sanctification is this setting apart for vocation and purpose. So the, the, the death of Jesus, the merit that he had in his death, puts God's people back in right standing, back in a right position, and now starts a new humanity under his headship. So follow with me so far what we've got. 
we've got Jesus saying, I have been sent into the world. And I have not just been sent into the world to die for sinners so they can go to a floaty place that we've never experienced before. Okay? That's how we think. So many people in the West have been influenced by Plato to think that when Jesus, that the mission of Jesus was to come and die to save our spirits so that our spirits can go to some floaty, heavenly, cloudy place and we will play harps and live on clouds forever and ever and ever. Jesus comes, consecrates himself, comes to fulfill the vocation and mission of God that humanity never did. He then consecrates himself on the cross, buying back a humanity buying back those God had given him, buying back God's people, bringing those people under a new line of humanity with him as the head. Old humanity, Adam is the head. Jesus comes to be the second Adam or the last Adam. And Jesus takes these people that he has come to save and he brings them underneath his headship. He consecrates them, sets them apart from the world, brings them underneath his headship now. Ephesians 5, 25-27, as Paul is talking to husbands, we find out a lot about Jesus. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. Hebrews 13, 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. As a side note, Sanctification of God's people is an intertrinitarian act. It is an act between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father sanctified us by choosing us before the foundation of the world and predestining us to be in the image of His Son. That is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, 29. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us by bringing us to new life, through regeneration, through the new birth. Jesus sanctifies us through his death on the cross. All three are, in the, are a part of this sanctification process. All three are a part of getting us into a new humanity with Jesus as the head. You with me? Now, we haven't been brought into this new humanity with Jesus as the head, and that is the end. That is not the end of why Jesus has saved us. Jesus says this in verse 18. As you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. If we were supposed to just get out of here, if that was the goal, if the, if the goal was to get out of here, to get off of this earth to a floaty place, then why not just take us once we get saved? Right? Why not save us and take us? Because that's not the end of the story. That's not how this whole thing ends. Your loved ones who are in the present heaven, as Eliab told us Wednesday night upstairs in refuge, 
oh, it's just temporary. It's exactly right. The present heaven is temporary. It is not where you will spend eternity. You're there until Jesus comes back. Comes back where? To the earth to make it new and to perfect it. And you know he starts that when he came as the new humanity to do the vocation, to do the ministry, to do the will of God. And now he sanctifies us and he brings us into that new humanity with him as the head. And he says, I'm going to continue to make all things new through my people. Jesus makes his followers worthy of the mission, worthy of their vocation. He puts them in a right standing with God and he sends them into the world. Look, it's not I I get them in right standing. I make them worthy and then I take them away. No, it's I send them in. I send them in. The prayer of Jesus has its end in the mission to the world. God's people are drawn out of the world saved in order to be sent back into the world as Jesus' representatives to continue the mission of humanity under the headship of Christ. That is why 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are ambassadors for Christ. So now... We are a part of the new humanity. And now, being in right standing with God, now being worthy, now being changed with new hearts and new wills and and new loves and new desires, now we can fulfill the vocation that God gave humanity back in Genesis chapter 1. Now, you wouldn't be able to do that if Jesus didn't come. If the Father didn't send Jesus, we would stay in our rebellion. And the vocation that God gave humanity would be, would be unfulfilled and we would be eternally judged. But because Jesus came, there is now a new humanity of people from every tribe and nation and tongue who are going to fulfill the vocation that God gave human beings. We are now being transferred into the proper image of God. When we fell, the image of God was marred. We didn't lose the image of God, but it was marred. Jesus comes and 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Romans 8, 29, which I've already quoted, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. That he may be the firstborn among many brothers. We as human beings in the new humanity now can rightly bear the image of God. Namely, Jesus. How how do new covenant, new humanity beings bear the image of God? We bear the image of Jesus. He's the head of this new humanity. We look to him and we act like him and we live like him. That's how we're being conformed into properly into God's image. It's to look like Jesus. 
And now, because Jesus consecrated himself and was sent into the world, we can do that. Second, we are in communion with God. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. There is no greater way to describe the communion that we have with God than to be able to call God our daddy. Until Jesus came and consecrated himself on the cross and made this new humanity, human beings had no right to call God their father. Oh, we could say he created us, but not that he's our dad, not that he's our father. Jesus' death on the cross got us adopted into the family. So now God is our father. We cry out to him. He brings us in. So now we can have communion with God properly. So now we're being transformed. So now we're bearing the image of God properly as Christians. We're now going to walk in communion with God. So there's two of the commission from Genesis 1. And then number three, it says that it, it talks about taking dominion over the earth. Let me tell you the number one way a Christian takes dominion over the earth by taking dominion over the sin in your own life. That's where we start. We start by taking dominion over our own sin. It's, it's funny, there, there's, there's these movements that happen throughout church history where there's this belief that the, the Christian's job is to like take dominion over governments. And every time that's happened, it's failed miserably and it's become a very ugly thing. And, and one of the reasons why I, f I think it fails miserably and becomes a very ugly thing is because we don't, we're not actually doing what we need to do to take dominion over the, the world, which is to take dominion over our own sin. It is so easy for us to say, you know what's wrong with the United States of America? This, 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 this. Who was it, Brother James? Was it, uh, yes, Chesterton said when what was wrong with Europe, his response, he wrote an op-ed piece, his response in the paper was simply me. You want to take dominion over the earth, church? You want to fulfill the vocation that God has given us in this new humanity to, to be obedient and be on mission? Kill the sin in your own life before it kills you. That's what it means to take dominion first and foremost. Crucify your flesh every day. Let's not wake up every day and start pointing the finger about what everybody else needs to do to make things right in the world. Let's wake up every day and say, God, today, I want to walk in your spirit. I want to crush my flesh. I want to wrestle it into submission. I want to subdue it and take dominion over anything that would long to have dominion over me. That's why Jesus, that's why uh, uh, Paul says, do not be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. His big point there is not about alcohol. His point is, don't let anything 
subdue you. Don't let anything have control over you except the Holy Spirit of God. That's how we have dominion. Fourthly, let's just sum up the first three. We're now in the new humanity. Jesus is our head. Now we are being transformed. We are conforming to the image of Jesus. We are actually have the ability to bear the image of Jesus properly. We now, in the new humanity, we now can have communion with God. He is our Father. We have direct relationship with God. And now we can have dominion over sin. I like what Paul says in Romans 6.14, Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body to make your, you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are no longer under the law but under grace. And then fourthly, because we're in the new humanity, we can spread the glory of God first and foremost through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and make the nations a part of this new humanity. And you know what happens? I, I, I quote it all the time because it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. But you know what happens when we go and preach the gospel? And people hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit uses the preaching of the gospel to change people's lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, they see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So every time we share the gospel or we're a part of sharing the gospel or we send money to the Czech Republic or to Mexico or, or we, we send people on uh, the second Sunday of every um, month down to the mission and the gospel is preached and we're a part of all of that ministry, every time someone receives Christ, you know what we've been a part of? Spreading the glory of God on the earth. That's first and foremost how we do it. It's through the preaching of the gospel. But we also do it, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We also do it by the way that we live practically. As Brother James talked last week, this progressive growth in holiness spreads the glory of God. When you live out your practical sanctification, you are spreading the glory of God. When you love people the way you should love people, God's glory is spread. When you have peace, when you have joy, when you exhibit goodness and, and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness as the fruit of the Spirit is bore out in your life into the world, everywhere that you go, the glory of God is being spread. We are, we are glory reflectors now. Like the sun shines on the moon, so Jesus shines on us and we represent Him to the world and His glory is seen in the earth. So God has created this new humanity 
And he has given people to Jesus. Jesus dies for them on the cross. The Holy Spirit brings them to life. They are brought into this new humanity. And now, this new humanity that Christians are a part of, now we can rightly represent God, be in communion with Him, take dominion over the earth, and spread the glory of God on the world. The commission, the vocation, the job that was given to human beings now is being fulfilled in the church with Jesus as the head. Amen? This is what God does when He saves a person. God doesn't sign you up on the team to put you in the dugout for you to mess around and not play. And there are a lot of people just in this country alone that have made a profession of faith. They've signed up because they want to be part of the squad. They want to be a part of the team. They want this religion to be on their resume. And they're sitting the game out. The vocation is being accomplished in the world and they're sitting and watching other people do it. I would argue the Bible knows no such Christianity. God has saved you to play you. He has sanctified you for vocation and mission. So we all need to take a very hard look at ourselves first and foremost. And we need to say, okay, first, am I in the game? Am I seeking to fulfill the vocation that God has given me in Jesus Christ. And if your answer is yes to that, then you need to be more specific and say, what are the areas that I'm not doing this like I should be? What are the areas that I'm, I'm not rightly representing Jesus in the way that I live? What are, the, what are the ways that I'm not actually walking in communion with God like I ought to be? What are, what are the ways that I'm not taking dominion over my own sin and crushing and crucifying my flesh? What are the ways that I'm not spreading the glory of God like I should be? And I don't think there's any of us, when we start getting that specific, that the Holy Spirit's not going to say, this, and that, and this, that we can't say, okay, Lord, I see what you're pointing at. I'm in the game, but I got to get better at this game. I, I'm in the vocation, I'm doing the work, I'm doing the job, and I need to get better at doing it. And if you say no, and you say, well, maybe I've, been, I've, been a, I've made a profession of faith, but my life hasn't changed a bit, I'm still goofing off in the dugout, I've never been a part of the game, it, then you're probably not a Christian. Because Jesus doesn't save people to not have them get in on the mission. He saves them and then puts them on mission. 
So if you've had no desire to spread the glory of God and to kill your sin and to have communion with God and represent Jesus, but you're calling yourself a Christian, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. That's not the description of a Christian. I'm not talking about doing these things perfectly. I'm talking about not being in the game at all. Not being on mission or on vocation at all. Let me say it again. If you have no desire to rightly represent Jesus, walk in communion with God, kill sin, and spread God's glory, and you call yourself a Christian, you're lying to yourself. Here in this room, at home, live, on YouTube later, that is the reality. Because when God saves us, we become new in this new humanity. And we got something to live for. We got something to do. And this new heart, this, this new desire and will that God gives us, now it wants things that it didn't want before. So if you say no, repent and believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. If you say yes, then start digging a little deeper. Ask the Holy Spirit to dig a little bit deeper, okay? Lord, where in this vocation do I need to get to work a little bit better? You've been sent into the world, Christian. Now go and represent God in your humanity. Thank you.